Thank you so much for listening to series one of the Media Careers podcast. We've had such amazing feedback and it's been brilliant to hear how the advice and guidance from our guests has supported and inspired you so much. I also just wanted to flag the show notes to you again. There are direct contact links to our guests within them, as well as links to other companies and organisations who can support and guide you further. So please don't forget to check those out as well. And finally, I have one small favour to ask you. Please could you press the small button to either follow or subscribe to the podcast so we can reach even more people who can hear from these amazing media professionals. Thank you so much and I really hope you enjoy series two. is a journalist, moderator and film festival consultant. She's a seasoned writer-editor who specialises in entertainment coverage for online and print publications such as Screen International, Variety, New York Daily News, Time Out New York and many more. Having studied journalism at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, Wendy now works for film festivals across the globe, including Sundance London, San Sebastian and Lübeck. And she moderates lots of panels, Q&As and masterclasses with filmmakers, actors and industry executives. If you have a question about the film industry and how it works, Wendy is the woman in the know. In addition to this, Wendy also released a book called Citizen Canine, Dog in the Movies in 2020, and also a book called Iceland on Screen in 2022, and I can't wait to find out more about these. Wendy, welcome to the Media Careers Podcast. Thanks so much, Carrie, for having me. This is going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, Wendy, on this podcast, we always start at the beginning. We always like to find out what our guests were like as a young person so we can really understand their journey into the industry. So let's let's do that. Let's start at the beginning. What were you like as a young person? Did you have lots of hobbies and interests? Goodness, I I think I was quite a creative kid, maybe. Um, my mom is an art teacher or was an art teacher. Um, my dad's an accountant. I kind of get best of both of them. I, you know, I really like school. I was one of those geeks, you know, I did quite well at school, but I would, I love to read at home. And then I was started like little drawing books or like writing little books and poems and things. And I think also I was an only child. So I sort of would make my own fun sometimes with, you could sit down and like make a little booklet in an afternoon rather than, you know, running around playing football or something. Um, and yeah, my parents were, you know, let me get on with it. And they saw maybe I was a kind of a creative type and can probably hear from the voice. I'm American. So, and I don't know the exact equivalent when I was about, you know, 12 or so, I think I started maybe 13 working at like the yearbook, which I don't even know, you know, they have them as much here, but instead of working at the school newspaper, I worked at the yearbook. So like planning this book of the year for, for students. And I really liked that and really got into to stuff like that in addition to like just the school work. Yeah. And were you aware of the media industry and the film industry when you were young? Did you- no way. Hmm. No. Um, you know, I did not come like, you know, from a cinephile household. You know, I went to the movies like a normal kid and I liked them. Um, but I could have never have guessed that I would now work in the film world. I didn't probably think that was a job. I think I was probably aware of like newspapers. And I think as I got older and, you know, before I went to uni, I was thinking, yeah, maybe I'll work at like newspapers or magazines. Um, But, you know, I didn't know what a film festival was like, you know, uh, who knew when you're 
13 what a film festival is you don't go to them mm-hmm. hopefully um some young people listening to this might be smarter more savvy than i was but um yeah never had a thought of a sort of film world career just eventually thought maybe i could do some kind of journalism writing yeah so and obviously that's what you went on to study at university as well so that was that path always gonna happen for you in terms of going to university was that almost kind of set on stone or was was it uh, I think it was at that time like people didn't really question um I guess both of my parents had been to university they were the first of their families to have done that and yeah especially I think because I did well in school it sort of seemed like the natural next step and I liked school and I liked studying um And yet, when I started thinking about what to study, journalism just seemed so obvious. And I was really lucky. Like, I grew up in North Carolina, and um, they have one of the probably the top 10 journalism schools in America at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, which is a state school, which meant, you know, I think my tuition was like $800 a semester. Whereas if I had gone down the road to like Duke University, that's like 20 grand a year at the time. So obviously it meant, you know, it was good news financially that I could study at what I wanted at this school that, you know, and it's like a it's one of the best state schools in America. So I was lucky to be in the right state at the right time to study journalism there. But yeah, when I started looking at other universities, I think I didn't really know what I would study there. Maybe you would study English or something. Um, and I certainly never thought about studying film. So um, yeah, I just got lucky with the the journalism. And I should mention that just as important to me as the journalism courses I was taking, they have a really good student newspaper in Chapel Hill called the Daily Tar Heel, <laughs> um, which is a, you know, the mascot. It was like, it's like a professional grade paper. It wins lots of awards. It's published Monday to Friday. It's a real newspaper. And, you know, I started working at the newspaper and sometimes I was working like 40 hour weeks yeah. editing entertainment stories for the newspaper. And it's like having a full-time job in addition to the classes, but I learned so much there. And I think it actually helped me get better grades because you couldn't start studying journalism until your sophomore year. But I started working at the paper my freshman year. Uh, So I was able to like learn from the other student editors some of the tricks of the trade or how to write a story or whatever. And then so by the time I took them in the journalism school, I kind of knew them from the practical paper. Amazing. So um, I, th- I think it really helped. And that just gave me such a, and it was just also such a bonding experience with students. So yeah, I really, probably we have less student newspapers these days, especially in print, but um, you know, I encourage people to look at, you know, student publications can be really fun and a great way to get experience. Yeah. And come and have a different perspective on things as well. I don't let you, know, they just, young people just do. So having that kind of different perspective editorially is really interesting and you just mentioned there Wendy that you were looking after entertainment reporting so had was that just a natural decision for you or were you given that how did because it seems to me that's obviously where your career has now gone so what how did that come about I mean I think that's probably the stuff I was drawn to Mm. and maybe I knew I was never going to be the person who was like reporting on the court cases that's just maybe not me. Maybe I'm a little too, I don't know, freewheeling for that. 
But also in Chapel Hill, they had this amazing music scene that's still is sort of legendary with, you know, Squirrel Nut Zippers and Super Chunk and Ben Folds and all these musicians were there at the time. And I could like interview them. And yeah, I think I had been really into music. Even when I was in high school, I had like worked at a college radio station doing a very silly show. Um, yeah, I'd always really liked my music. So I think writing about music, a little bit of film, maybe some TV stuff. Yeah, that just seemed to be what I was most drawn to. And I think it just happened that they had some openings. I think, you know, if you wanted to be a really serious newspaper reporter and get a job at the Washington Post after school, you would have wanted to be on the court beat or like writing hard news. And I was just never quite that. Not that I wasn't serious. I just, that wasn't me. It wasn't your vibe. No, (laughs) bad vibes. No, okay. So then when you finished at Chapel Hill, had you started to think about what your career trajectory would look like then? And I suppose building on your newspaper experience there, did you automatically go, okay, right, this is, I'm going to try and get a job as a entertainment editor in a paper? Or how did you navigate that? Yeah, I, yeah, I just, it's funny. My dad remembers, he was like, from about age 12, we knew you were just going to like move to New York. That was just the vibe you were giving off in like small town, North Carolina. And (laughs) and that's kind of what I did. Um, He was right. Um, And I I should say, I'm lucky I have parents who are like, yeah, you do you. We don't need you living next door. You know, you got to go flourish. Um, So actually two things. I, when I was at Chapel Hill between my junior and no, it was for part of my senior year, I think I came to London on a study abroad program Mm -hmm. and I worked at a magazine and it was a financial magazine. So it wasn't a perfect fit for that, but gosh, they were fun people. I just love living in London. It was such an eye opener for me. And you know, the one reason I could afford to do that is because I hadn't gone to the 20 grand a year university. And I think my dad had even said, you know, if you go to the state school, that's very affordable. Maybe you can have opportunities to, do something else like that. Um, so that was great. And then I think I came back from that and I had gotten an internship program in New York for one summer and I worked at Rolling Stone, which, you know, dream. Yeah, that um, is a dream. And that was great. And some of the people I met on that internship program, because it wasn't just like you're an intern. It was like, there's 50 interns all living together that are all quite special on this program that had like extra stuff. And I'm still friends, great friends with some of them that I met on that program today. And I think seeing New York that summer and also seeing the magazine world, I'm like, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But you know, it's quite hard to like, if you're studying to like get a job in New York city at the time, this weird and wonderful um, sort of copy editing internship or maybe it was copy editing and reporting for like news wires and this you know definitely wasn't cool rolling stone it was like the wall street journals offshoot but i took this test while i was in chapel hill that my because my friend was taking it and it meant i got a paid internship in new york that started you know the month after i graduated (laughs) and to have a paid internship was just so lucky. And and I also think times were a little bit different then. I think it's even harder now to get a paid internship. Mm. And I, the people I had met in New York and the internship program, four of us like moved up together. 
some of them didn't have a job yet. We just sort of made it work. Um, and quite quickly into the paid internship, I got a paid reporting job. At, it was called the Dow Jones News Service. So it wasn't exactly what I wanted to be, but I also still, I mean, it's writing about like the stock market and share prices are up on commodities to, you know, I still can't talk about it properly because it was not my world, but I was in New York yeah. and it was in the door. Yeah. And, you know, that, because it's sort of less sexy, maybe it paid pretty well. Like it paid better than the jobs I had for the next five years doing entertainment stuff. So, but I just knew it was like safe to have a job. I was really lucky to have a job. And it got you one step closer. Like you, yeah. you knew that you wanted to be in New York. So actually this was a, a way of enabling that. To yeah. So I was in New York. I was working, I was earning enough money to pay the rent and it meant I could look for like an entertainment job. And that's what I did. And back then, you know, you could look for a job like in the village voice and the print <laughs> newspaper. Yeah. There would be like, 60 reporting jobs listed every week and it's like this is unheard of now mm. and you know most of them weren't the perfect job for me or I wasn't you know qualified for them but eventually there was a job writing about music that was in the back of the village voice and that just would never happen now and I you know so I took a pay cut going from the financial journalism into the the music stuff but it was where I needed to be yeah yeah and that was obviously much more your vibe and kind of where you that's more my tribe of people and again I'm still in touch with a few of those people um you know so many years later yeah incredible so then you get that job and then was film on your radar at all at that point no you were still kind of focusing on music no it was all music and it was music 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 mm. and then I eventually was working at sort of a, more of a startup type vibe covering the digital music industry like Napster you know, yeah. your listeners are probably too cool and young to remember Napster, but, yeah. you know, kids, we didn't always have iTunes, you know. <laughs> yeah, so covering how the digital world was adapting in the music industry. Yeah. And that was getting shut down. But a guy who was the publisher there, and I'm going to name check him, Carol Martesco Fenster, was one of the founders of a company called IndieWire, and I don't think, again, this might not happen today, but he was just like, we just need a really good like managing editor at IndieWire now. And even though you don't really know film world, you know, you're creative, you're a good editor, you're sort of a safe pair of hands. Maybe you could interview for this job. I got that job. I Like, again, today, I think there would be 400 really qualified people applying for that job. Mm -hmm. But I got that job at IndieWire and that was the first time I could sort of properly write about film Amazing. and the film industry and I loved it and again I'm friends with those people you know my boss there Eugene Hernandez is now the artistic director of Sundance <laughs> and we got to work together on Sundance London this year so it's like I, that's I mean, I, one kind of piece of advice that these people you know from 25 years ago some of them are still in my life and some of them might still be important to your career even in ways you cannot imagine so sort of be classy to everybody you're meeting along the way because you never know what's, yeah, yeah, how these people are going to still be in your life and help you and be your pals and yeah. mentors and peers and, yeah. Yeah, totally. I couldn't agree with that more. And what a unique opportunity as well. Like, as you said, that moment probably changed the trajectory of your career being offered it did. opportunity. Just incredible. And But obviously he spotted brilliant talent and saw an opportunity that you would be 
brilliant for that role and then and then kind of yeah, took yeah I mean, I, it, it's, it's really, he had a sort of open mind. Yeah. And I think that's also great when people can have an open mind. Like you haven't exactly done this before, but you could do this. Yeah. And for me, I actually really found that I really like writing about film and the film industry more than I had liked writing about music in the music industry. Okay. I mean, if you've ever tried to like interview a drummer <laughs> about, you know, what is this song really about? It's, I just find it so much more endlessly fascinating to write about film and to the costume designer, the cinematographer, the producer, how did you make this all come together? The director's vision. I mean, it's just such a richer canvas for me. And I just, yeah, I think I did find maybe my calling. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think you did. (laughs) So how long did you spend at IndieWire then? Oh, I was at IndieWire for a few years and then they actually had to lay me off. Um, but in a very, you know, um, loving way, they were just like changing size and shape of the organization. And fair enough, as I said, it was a very amicable parting. I'm still friends with them. Mm. And I think that gave me a little kick. Like, you know, I, I was just freelancing in New York and I was like, you know what? I'm freelancing in New York. I've always wanted to go back to London after that, you know, when I was 20 and studied abroad. Um And I was about to turn 30 and there was like a, I thought I'm either moved to LA or London because LA, I could still be in the film side and London, who knew? But I just thought I I always just felt an affinity for Britain and British people and the pub um, (laughs) at that time. Um, And I just thought, you know what? I'm freelancing in New York. I'm just going to go freelance in London. And in hindsight, a little bit stupid probably. Because I, oh, I knew I could keep some of my freelancing jobs in the U.S. So I'm like, I'm going to have a base of money. Mm. But that base of money was in dollars. And suddenly I was trying to pay rent in pounds. I was <laughs> like, oh, goodness. But luckily, somebody I had met when I was working at IndieWire was Colin Brown, who was then the editor of Screen International. And they happened to have a job going. And that this is also rare. Like, they rarely have jobs going, you know. But it was a really good fit. And again, there, you know, I had been like a managing editor at IndieWire. I've been one of the bosses, kind of. Mm. And Screen was hiring like a reporter. So it was a kind of a few rungs down. But I was like, you know what? I got to get my foot in that door. It's going to be a great way to meet everybody in the UK film industry. And I needed a job, you know. So it wasn't... I guess in hindsight, I would have loved to gone in there as managing editor. And, but I think I needed to learn about the UK and I needed, and it wasn't so long before people were shifting around at screen and I could move up the ladder. Um, So again, I think don't be afraid to sort of take a step. Maybe it looks slightly down, but it's more actually sideways. Yeah. You know, um, if it's for the right place. Yeah. Maybe it's being in the right place, not in the perfect job can be a good moment. Yeah, totally. And also not be frightened to take a risk as well. Like that seems to me like moving from New York to London. I needed to change. Yeah. It was risky. Yeah. 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 But um, but change can be so good as well, can't it? I think we can be quite frightened to change sometimes, particularly when it's that, when you're moving countries and you're moving to another bit of the industry that you don't know so well and you're not quite sure that you've got a job. And actually all of that is is big steps. But actually, as you said, you've built your network, you've yeah. you've remained in touch with all of them and yeah. how critical that has and been. And as I should say, film festivals helped me to do all this because when I was at IndieWire, I started going to some international film festivals. Yeah. So I remember going to a film festival in Bangkok 
I mean, how lucky. And I met people like Wendy Eyde and Jason Solomons, who now 20 years later, I'm friends with in London. And so Mm. I, and I'd been to a film festival in Vienna and met a really great woman named Andrea Toll who worked at Sight and Sound. So I knew a couple of the UK film journalists because I'd been, and then Carla Vivari, I had met some, like Roger Clark, I think. So I had a little base of friends here, despite not having spent time in London. Mm-hmm. I met these really nice people on the film festival world. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of made the move a little less scary. Like I had people I could call for coffee that first week or yeah. a pint, let's be honest, you know. <laughs> you know, even one of them, I think somebody invited me to moderate a panel, like within the first two weeks I was here before I had a job and I just, people were quite welcoming Yeah, because I think they knew that this isn't a total stranger wig. She's done good work at IndieWire. We've seen her on the festival circuit. She's Mm -hmm. not a complete outsider. Yeah. Uh, So amazing. I love, I love that part of your story. But Wendy, while we're here, I'd love to talk to you about film festivals because I think that the world of film festivals is, I think we probably, you know, most people know about the big ones like Cannes or yeah. like even London Film Festival, but there is this whole world of film festivals, right? Globally, from yeah. small festivals to, to, to big ones. Can you tell us a bit about the film festival world and why it's so important to the film industry? Good question. So, yeah, there's tens of thousands of film festivals out there. I mean, there's probably like the Croydon Sci Fi Film Festival. I don't know. There's Cannes, you know, and there's everything in between. A film festival could be like three films showing around the corner from you, or it could be Cannes, you know, and Sundance and the huge ones. They're just really important places for audiences to meet filmmakers, for filmmakers to be in touch with each other and the rest of the film industry. Um, You know, at a film festival, you're either maybe going to see a film you can't just go see at the Odeon next week, or even if you're seeing a film that's going to be at the Odeon in, in six months, you're kind of seeing it earlier or you're seeing it with people who really want to maybe engage with a discussion. Maybe the filmmakers there are talking about it. Um, so, yeah, it's an important part of the just the film ecosystem to get films seen, to get films sort of bought and sold on the industry side. That happens at film festivals. And yeah, at the heart of it is like audiences coming out. And that's one reason I just believe in them is that as much as I love sitting here on my sofa and I can put something on Netflix, we need to leave our houses sometimes and we need to be around other people. And I think that's where film festivals are brilliant. And if you Mm -hmm. want to learn about the film industry, a lot of film festivals have a sort of industry side where there might be talks or even if there's not an industry side, you know, you could just go to the Croydon Sci-Fi Film Festival and maybe the filmmaker of some sci-fi short film is there and talking about how she made that film. You know, I think just it's just a real learning opportunity. It's an opportunity to celebrate film and it's an opportunity to get people together. And I think especially post-pandemic, we all want to be out of the house together with sort of like-minded or even not like-minded, together with people you don't know and that, but who might want a similar experience and conversation. Yeah, totally. And it seems to me, Wendy, that that's become more and more part of your career mm. kind of in more recent years in terms of being immersed in those film festivals. Mm. And one thing that strikes me is that you now host lots of Q&As and panels and are very much at the forefront of those festivals. How did you go from because for me writing can be quite solitary but then you're in front of a big audience and then interviewing all of these amazing filmmakers from across the globe what 
how did you make that transition personally? Was that a natural thing to be comfortable? It was kind of natural. And I think I'm one of those very weird people that I kind of like public speaking if it's about something I care about. I remember like once I had to do like public, like interview some EU commissioner about some digital strategy. And I was like, I am not enjoying this. I kind of don't know the topics. I don't like talking about things I don't know. We feel stupid. You know, I didn't care to talk to this guy. I didn't care what he was saying about digital strategy. I didn't understand it. But if I'm, you know, able to talk to a filmmaker about how they made a film, even sometimes if I don't even love the film, I just love it. You know, it's such a treat. And it's kind of, in some ways, it's kind of a natural progression. Like as a film journalist, you're interviewing all these people to write about how they've made their film. Mm -hmm. Either you're doing that in a hotel room junket somewhere or on the phone. And then it just sort of segued that, oh yeah, you could do that on stage at BAFTA because it's kind of the same conversation. And it's kind, I guess it's about if you're comfortable on stage or not. So there's plenty of journalists who do not like doing it. And that's fair enough. You know, my husband's a journalist. He hates being on stage. You know, he's a sports journalist. He can manage a podcast. He likes that, but he's uh, so smart, but he just doesn't like that part of it. And I get it. But for me, I just love, yeah, being able to talk with people with an audience. Um, And yeah, it just really happened when I was, probably when I was editor of Screen, people start asking you, I guess it's sort of publicist festivals. Can you host this talk for us? Because you're seen as kind of an expert on the topic, maybe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. And again, like I try to say no to the ones that I don't know the topic, you know, there was one that was like really, really nitty gritty about visual effects. And I'm like, I probably don't understand that enough. Ask the right questions. But yeah, and then right now I'm totally freelance. So I still write for screen as a freelancer. Yeah. I work for several of these festivals that you mentioned and on sort of like freelance contracts Mm -hmm. for them. And so, yeah, people, I think also the way I got those festival jobs is because I was going to these film festivals every year working for screen. Yeah, I was going as a journalist. I knew the people who ran the festivals. Maybe I would moderate a talk or two on behalf of screen. And I think it's kind of segued into now like, oh, well, you know, we worked with Wendy at screen on this panel. Maybe she can do more now that she's freelance. She could like plan more stuff for us or work on a whole conference for us. And then it's such a sort of small world that, yeah, people see, oh, she's doing that there. Maybe she'll do this here. Or I never set out thinking I'm going to work at film festivals. I think even when I was at screen, I I know it doesn't sound like very strategic, but I just think... I'd always loved film festivals and believed in them. And so it just felt so natural that I had been going to film festivals and loving them and maybe doing a little bit of work there that then I could, when I had more free time, I could actually work for them. Yeah, and embrace that opportunity as yeah. well. And it, does, and it does seem like a natural progression anyway. As you say, you were you were immersed in that world anyway. So then to- Yeah, of- it's not like I'd never been to a film festival and I'm applying for film festivals. I guess that's also one thing just to mention mm. You know, at Sundance London this year, we had a free position and we hired somebody who's been volunteering for us for several years. You know, if you ca- want to see what a film festival looks like from the inside, go volunteer at one. I guarantee no matter where you are and where you're listening, within probably 30 miles of you, there will be a film festival. Mm-hmm. 
go volunteer for them, see how it runs, get to talk to the people, you know, if that's what you are interested in. Um, you don't necessarily have to go to film school. You don't need to be a filmmaker, you know. And there's so many different jobs at film festivals. There's people who are just sort of like making sure the filmmakers have their coffee, mm, <laughs> you know, yeah. sort of talent re relations. You can deal with the press. You can, you know, be helping organize the cinema schedule. I mean, it's just so many different jobs. And, you know, even if you're just a really organized person, there'll be a job for you at a film festival. You don't, you know, I think people want the jobs of like picking the films that can be harder to get. And, you know, even for me, I'm not quite picking the films in most at these festivals where I work, but there's, that can be a sort of more rarefied who's allowed to be the curator or the, you know, the programmer of Cannes, you know, there's a list of 10,000 people who want to do that in Cannes. But again, you know, I think some festival programmers started as volunteers yeah. and you just learn the festival you're seeing films as you volunteer thinking about films yeah yeah and I think um that's such a good way to understand the mechanics of the film industry more broadly as well as you said that's such a breadth of roles and just within the film festival itself but across the industry to then suddenly see all of that pulled together in one place is extraordinary yeah. right? no I think um, I really genuinely think almost any kind of personality could find some kind of role in the film industry if you want you know if you're just really organized and you like running a spreadsheet you could maybe be a production accountant yeah if you really like photography, maybe you can be a cinematographer or you could help the lighting on the cinematographer. If you like electrics, you can work on a film set. You know, it, it's, if you like fashion, you could be a costume designer. Like there's so many yeah. different jobs. And I think, you know, the film world is booming right now. There's so much production. And I think, yeah, I, I think a lot of people think, oh, the film, I can't work in the film world. I've not studied that or mm. that's for rich people. You know, I'm not rich. I... And, you know, also for me, it was interesting coming in, you know, we think, oh, only like Oxford and Cambridge types, you know, work in the film industry or, or you must have studied at the best film school to work in the film industry at the NFTS or London Film School or something. Not at all, you know. Mm. And I think that's what I can see as an American, like anybody that is kind of welcoming for anybody. It's, it's, there's so many different roles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah amazing. And Wendy, going freelance seems like a big step for you as well. Kind of when you made that decision to leave screen, how, yeah. what was there any particular reason that you decided to become freelance and take on a slightly different kind of yeah. perspective? Well, I'm going to be quite honest. I, when I started working at screen, I think we had nine editorial staff when I was like a reporter. When I left as editor, we had two and a half. Oh, okay. It was like really decimating budget and resource cuts. And I felt I didn't have the energy to keep doing that. And it also becomes so lean that I, because I was, you know, running the IT issues and <laughs> budget meetings every day and, and all this, I, I didn't have time to write or edit. Yeah. And that's and your I passion, thought, right? That's your passion. Yeah. And it's like, I really missed the writing and the editing. And I was having to do that on nights and weekends. Um, so I thought, I did, it just seemed time yeah. to move on. Yeah. Um, and I also wanted to get a little bit closer working with filmmakers. Yeah. So actually it was a brilliant, I did a maternity cover at the British Council, working with people um, trying to get their British films into international film festivals. Amazing. So this is perfect. And yeah. I 
think even then it was like a part-time, maybe it was three or four days a week. So I knew I could still do some writing for screen on the side. Mm -hmm. I knew I could take on maybe little bits of freelance. So it was kind of like a baby step. Yeah. It's freelance. It was like, okay, some maternity cover. We'll see how it goes. I did actually end up working there for a few years and loved it. But I think by the end, I was like three days a week at British Council. And then, I mean, as you get older, some of the money does matter. And I found I was work, you know, earning more in the two days a week, way more freelancing than I was at the British Council Mm -hmm. and the three days a week. And it's like, you know what? I don't know if I can justify. And I just felt like I had more to learn if I could go freelance and sort of work for different people and yeah so then yeah maybe it was about five six years ago now I left the British Council obviously still friendly with them they're a great organization and just went fully freelance because I had enough you know because my part-time freelance like if it had been really lean I could have still paid off my part of the mortgage (laughs) and I yeah I just knew also I think sometimes I'm not great with like authority (laughs) or structures or like corporations that I don't totally agree with. I mean, everybody's probably like this a little bit. And I just thought, you know, if I'm freelance, no one entity like is going to ruin my life. No. Um, the opportunity to cheat, pick and choose. Yeah, I can sort of pick and choose. And yeah. even if there's somebody I don't love working with, but I love the work, at least it's not every day all year round. Mm-hmm. And yeah, now I've sort of got a, a group of I guess clients we could call them that I work for that, you know, it does seem like the right mix and it's people I really get energized by working with. And I love, you know, every day is different. You know, it is a lot to juggle sometimes. I probably have a little bit too many jobs, (laughs) but you know, I say yes a lot, Wendy. (laughs) I say yes a lot, but I'm trying to be better. And I, the ones that aren't fitting in, I just try to politely get rid of. Yeah. But yeah, I have to kind of look after myself. And I think that can be hard as a freelancer because like if you you know if you say no, they're gonna get somebody else mm-hmm. and then they might not come back to ask you next time. Yeah. But that's the freelancer's life. Yeah, you know? it is. It is. And I'm I'm very lucky to have enough work, you know. And I'm even during the in- pandemic, because you know, my husband's a sports journalist, he covers live sports. And here I was working at in-person film festivals. Mm-hmm. And so the pandemic hits and we're like, oh my god gosh you know and we're both freelance there's no security blanket and we both just got really lucky like he works for the guardian and they let him write about historical sports things when there was no live sports and a lot of the festivals i worked with sort of did online things Mm -hmm. so yeah we got really lucky and i think we realized yeah lucky we were during that yeah Goodness, Wendy, your career has been so fascinating. I, I love, I love your stories. I um, but I'd love to just go into your book writing part okay. of your career. How did that come about in terms of moving onto something that was com- completely different, but kind of related to what you're doing? How did that all um, come to fruition? I think it was when I was going freelance, or when I had some more free time after I left Screen. I love dogs. of dogs full stop I like dogs and movies and I just thought nobody's ever really written this book about dogs and movies (laughs) I love that you had that idea it's just brilliant (laughs) and wouldn't this just be fun and you know I have been on the jury of the palm dog award in Cannes that's run by Toby Rose who's another huge um supporter of dogs and movies I have to name check him I love this 
and I interviewed him for the book, you know, but I just thought what would be just really fun yeah. that I can do in my own time. Like if the freelancing is a little bit slow this month, I can do more of it. And it just like gave me some joy, Yeah, I you know, that. watching the wizard of Oz and concentrating just on Toto, you know, <laughs> and I just, it was really fun. And it was just something also because quite a lot of what I do can be quite serious. It's about how do you finance this film and what tax break is here and mm. which camera did you use for this? And it was just like, no, dogs, movies. Dogs, movies. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I have to say, like, the book world will not earn anybody much money, probably, unless you have a really hit book. Mm-hmm. But for me, it wasn't about money. It was kind of just like a fun thing. Yeah. And I'm really glad I did it. And I really want to do cats now. You want to do cats? I, cat. <laughs> I really want to. Somebody's got to... Somebody listening can commission you. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) no, I've got it ready. I just think it would, yeah, be fun. Yeah. And then the Iceland one came out. I write a lot about Nordic cinema and I started that at screen and I started going to Iceland, gosh, 20 years ago when I was still at IndieWire. Um, I had just become obsessed with Iceland and their film industry and knew a lot of people there have been there at least probably about 18 times which is a bit ridiculous to go somewhere that much but I just love it and I knew all the film people there and so I just pitched the idea to some of the film commissioners there it's um and the film center Icelandic film center and Iceland on not not Iceland on screen that's the book film in Iceland and they sort of saw the value that for like tourism and for the film industry for me to write this book Amazing. and that was also during covid so that was a fun thing to just mm. could do it i mean i had dreams of like driving around iceland writing this book that would be great but i just could make phone calls from home and do the photo research at home and yeah, yeah that was just a fun thing Amazing. Well, I love those fun projects. I can't yeah. wait to I can't wait to see the cat one be released as well. Yes, then, thank what, you. What other animals you go on to next? Pigs, <laughs> donkeys, you know. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole world, right? A whole I zoo. know. <laughs> I love it. Um, Wendy, I've got to ask you: Has there been a favorite panel that you've hosted in your career, or favorite guests that you've had? I can't let you go today without asking you about one that's you've just so either inspired by or in awe of or just had the best time um this will maybe mean slightly less to uk listeners but i grew up you know as a girl coming home from school watching oprah winfrey show Mm -hmm. and i just love her and a few years ago i got to interview oprah on stage for the butler uh the lee daniels film Mm -hmm. and so i mean just how does this kid from North Carolina end up interviewing Oprah, who's one of the world's best interviewers. Mm-hmm. You know, that one was yeah. just special. Um, but, you know, I, I really like it when I can go sort of deeper with one person. In Zurich a few years ago, I got to do like a career masterclass, one hour talk with Woody Harrelson, mm-hmm. who, as you can imagine, is quite a fun dude anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he was just so up for telling anything. He, like, took his shoes off. <laughs> Did he? Stayed around, <laughs> like, doing selfies with every single person in the audience afterwards. He was just so open and, mm-hmm. you know, ready to tell his stories. He wasn't guarded. There was no publicist saying, don't ask Woody about this period of his life. You know, it was just really wonderful and he was such a creative force yeah yeah I'll really remember that one but yeah it's a treat talking to anybody who's creative and making a film and 
you know, anytime I'm asked, I'm not like, oh, I get to have to do this. I, I think what a privilege. Yeah. What a joy. You to talk well. to somebody I'm interested in. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, both of those sound extraordinary. And I'm, yeah, yeah I'm with you on the Oprah one. That's, you know, must have been a very special moment. <laughs> yeah. Proper, like, take your breath away. Yes. <laughs> and she was every bit as great as you would expect. She? And yeah. she even insisted, like, don't let me. She wanted to be introduced in the middle of the group. And she was like, make sure you introduce, you know, the other actors as like the last and like they get the most applause. I mean, Oprah's classy. Yeah, very classy. I love that. Um, Wendy, we're coming to the end of the podcast, but I'd uh, love to get your thoughts on why the film industry is so amazing. What makes it so special for you? Oh, I just really believe in the power of film as entertainment, as storytelling, to open our minds, to bring us together. Um, and really, I just think there's so many different, and you know, the film industry is probably going through more change in the coming years, you know, and that can be exciting. Yeah, We're never gonna stop watching something on screens, you know, and I think it's just, so much opportunity to tell stories to help other people tell stories you know not everybody's going to be the writer or director but you know there's hundreds of people that work on a film set and that's exciting to me yeah it is and uh, finally wendy what are your top tips for somebody wanting to get into the industry in any role yeah i think internships volunteering um if you're really interested in film watch films that yeah. sounds really silly, but you'd be surprised that, you know, you even people I've met young people in film school and like mentioned some amazing, one of the best films of the year. And they're just like, mm, haven't seen it, mm. you know? So I think watching films and you don't have to always do that in the cinema if money is an issue, you know, or I think there's some affordable schemes for students and people to watch films and cinemas, but mm. yeah, watch films, volunteer, Try to, you know, if you want to be a costume designer, you know, you could Google some costume designers and probably find one that'll have a coffee with you. Yeah, yeah. And tell you what it's like. Or there's probably a thousand videos on YouTube of costume designers being interviewed. Mm -hmm. And that's something we didn't have when I was growing up. You know, there's all these people, podcasts, video interviews, resources online that you can learn a lot, you know, on even if you can't meet those people yet, you can learn a lot from the internet. Yeah, and I think, as you say, people are very generous with their time as well. I think if somebody messages you directly and says, I'd love to have five minutes of your time online for a quick chat, yeah. then 100% people will, more than, than not, they give you give you their time. I think that's- Yeah, really cool. I, I hope so, yeah. I think that's really sound advice. Well, look, Wendy, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time and it's been fascinating talking to oh, you. Oh, it's been so fun. And thank you for, because it can also be quite hard to understand what my career is. <laughs> like every time I see my mother-in-law, she's like, how do I tell people what you do? And I'm like, just tell them film festivals, you know. <laughs> but I think that's one thing I would encourage your listeners. Like you don't have to fit in a box. You could do a bit of costume design and write a book about, don't do cats and movies, but you know, something else. You could write a book about sci-fi movies. You know, you can, that's one good thing about the media careers is that you can kind of pick and choose and do a bit of different things and try things out and see what sticks with you. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think that's 
really important to not think that it's just your career has to be so linear that actually it can have all of these different elements to it and that's what gives you great joy because then you're doing things that you love as well so amazing thank you so much wendy Speak thanks for soon. having me thanks